The 5 O'Clock Frenzy is presented by Nova Home Loans. Call 577-2600 for help in buying a new home. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Five, uh, five o'clock hour. Jonathan Von Tobel filling in for Steve Cofield. Demon is alongside as well. Man, what a show it's been. You didn't have to go up to LVSportsNetwork.com and check out the last two hours. It's, it's, it's been a doozy. I mean, Adam Hill, Adam Burke. That's right. Herb. Sage Steele. Yeah. All sorts of things. Dig Bigger. That's right. That is a man. It's his name. You forgot the junior at the end. Yes, junior, of course. Somewhat redundant. Bigger Jr. Man, what a good name. His real name has to be Richard. I just, again, you have to know what you're doing. You, there was a stretch. I, I You know, hmm, I don't want to hurt any feelings. As parents, I'll speak to this as a parent myself. Your child was not asked to be brought into this world, right? So you got to do everything possible. To set them up for success. And when I met a child, <laughs> uh, like 10 years ago or so, well before I was a parent, named Kush, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> you just, you got to set your kid up for success. First name was Kush? Yes. No. With a K. <laughs> With, oh, I, I think that's how you spell it, actually. So, Hey, Kush. <laughs> Now his middle name was Orange Juice. Then we're like, oh boy, then we're talking. You just you gotta set your kids up. So to name your son Richard Bigger after you, and then of course he runs with it and goes by the nickname Dick. Then you're just like, what are we doing? Do you think that the Bigger family is mad that that one set that that first Richard was born? That maybe they're just like, oh, you know, why'd you name your son Richard? We all knew what you were doing. Or is the whole family in on the puns? I mean, they have to be. I mean, the dad clearly was. Yeah, so he's you, a junior. What would a cousin's name be? Obviously, everybody in the family can't be named Richard Bigger. Right. So what would some other good names be for everybody else in the family to get in on it? Wilson, I guess. I don't know. Willie? Willie Bigger? Yeah. Obviously, we're just going for... Of course. Yes. I can't really think of many others. You were pretty good on the spot earlier. What do you got? Johnson. Oh, Johnson Bigger Jr.? It's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. For those who weren't with us last hour, we were talking about a, a very famous autograph collector. He's not even a collector. I don't know what he is, but he's every year his name pops up because he gets these baseballs signed by politicians. Yeah, he won't, yeah, make it out. Yeah, so that's, I'm sure that's the thrill in it for him. Where, you know, let's see if you meet the former president. Hey, Mr. Obama, uh, yeah, make that out to uh, Dick Bigger Jr. But what it, here's the other part of that story, which is also like a baseball signed by a politician has to be the two worst worlds colliding. You know what I'm saying? Like, why would they have, why would you have a politician sign a piece of athletic equipment? Unless it's George H. W. Unless, excuse me, unless it's George W. Bush. You know, like, if it's like, I guess. I can't. I can't think of two more not opposites, but two worse worlds colliding. If I met, like, if I met Peyton Manning, I don't know. Like, what's the what's the politician equivalent? I printed out this bill. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. This is. I printed out. This is my actual copy of the Declaration of Independence. Please sign this. (laughs) Can I go back to the text line real quick? Six nine one eight seven. Code word ESPN. Yep. Okay. So this guy. 
the guy who who wants to meet Adam Hill with all the eight question marks. This is the other saga for those who are just joining us. Uh, somebody texted in six nine one eight seven covert ESPN. You can too be part of the show. Yes, said that he's going to a Raiders camp and his only dream is to meet Adam Hill of the Las Vegas Review Journal and Kofield and Company fame. Yes, and someone said who wants to meet Adam Hill. Correct. A bunch of question marks. Now someone else. All right, we don't need you cheesing it up. For me, it'd be JVT, the boat. The boat. Best of all time. What are you the best of all time at? Or is he? Or is it a fat joke? He's calling me the biggest of all time. I, I mean, well, if he's saying he wants to meet you, I'm clearly it's a good boat. Okay. And then we got someone the boat. I've yeah. never heard that. Is the I, I guess the G and the B. I'm looking at my keyboard. They are somewhat near each other. Maybe no, no, he, he meant boat because in in his time in Miami, Pat Riley would refer to LeBron as the boat. Oh, okay, all right, cool. The LeBron of Las Vegas media, man. Okay. Oh, my God. I'm, 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 it's, it's, it's a phrase often used when uh, referring to me. Got another one. Will not be hugging. This is the initial person who's excited okay. to meet Adam. Will not be hugging. Will be getting fantasy ad- advice. Yeah, I guess, because it just ends there. And my cousin is Lions beat writer, Dave Burkett. Okay. Shout out to you. Shout out to Dave Burkett. Let's see. Dave Burkett. I just want a picture. I want to see. Let me see. Just want to get an idea of what you look like. Okay, well, it's two pictures of Dave Burkett's kids, which I would assume are, I don't know what, your second nephews and nieces, so whatever. What is that connection? Cousin, cousin's kids. Dave Burkett. Maybe because Adam's from that area? Yeah, I don't know. Give fantasy advice. Also, Adam likes firm slaps on the rear end. (laughs) Very football-oriented. I saw a lot of firm slaps on the rear end when I was out at UNLV camp. That's professional radio right there. Segway. That's right. I'm good at him on the fly. Although Mike Greenberg the other day did say in an interview, your career is all about your teases. You got to write down your teases. You got to get people hooked between the commercials. He's the best in the business at that. He is. He is. So UNLV camp, of course, I, I am. It's a very interesting season for UNLV for the obvious reasons. Very on taking over. It's always very fascinating when a new, you know, a new regime comes in, puts their fingerprints on it. And it's been interesting to go out there as often as I've been able to. I haven't been out there. I haven't been out there since Monday, since the really embarrassing, I'm going to call it the Barry Odom incident of 2023, where he went to give me a fist bump and I walked by him and ignored it on accident. And then I went to go back and he was already walking away. And it's, it's the whole big thing. Then but, you came here and put your foot in your mouth. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, right. Yeah, yep. Talking out there's of that. There's that. They're telling me I'm reporting on things that I'm actually not reporting on. So it's a whole big thing. I don't know if I can ever show my face at UNLB camp again. But it is an interesting time of camp because you are getting into like like the grind of it, right? If we want to use that term, I mean, we're talking about like what we're we on like practice twelve. It's hot. You're doing all the same things over, like not over and over again, but right. You're just constantly going out there early in the morning, hitting bodies with the same dudes. It's got to get really monotonous. And the other day, Barry Odom talked about this and was like, "Look, like this is the part of camp where we've kind of got to get through that monotony." I think we had a, a spirited practice. Um, look at the consistency on really both sides. I think we were inconsistent yesterday, and that was our big charge last night in meetings and then our focus, the the monotony of you get into practice 11 and then 12 and then what that looks like. Yeah, it's that's the part where I think this is – like the interesting challenges of being a head coach of a program that we don't really like harp on or fo- focus on, right? Because it's all about, hey, X's and O's and wins and whatnot. 
But, you know, being out there and being, and being, you know, a chubby media member just sitting in the heat, obviously I have no idea what it's like from a physical standpoint, you know, crashing pads and whatnot. You, did, you know, you did two-a-days in high school. It's nowhere near what they're doing every day. And getting 18 to 19, 20-year-olds to kind of focus through that and focus on what the goal is, you're going to have days like Odom alluded to where it's like, hey, man, like we're not focused today. Grind through it. Let's go. Because, as I mentioned, one week now – away from week zero. We're not playing in week zero, but we're two weeks away from our first game. This is the home stretch, and it's hard to kind of keep that going. I, I I don't know why. Maybe I'm nerding out over little things, but I, I think it's a fascinating coaching angle, getting kids to kind of – come on, focus up. It is, especially because he's a first-year coach, and he's bringing in – we've heard it so many times. First-year coach here. Yes, first-year coach here, but where he's bringing in those SEC expectations where I know that he can't just flat-out say it, but for those returning players, this isn't last year. So it, maybe it is some of that where you hear it all the time where, oh, man, things were different in every walk of life. Oh, the last guy, we used to do it like this. Well, you know, we wouldn't really do it. That's not how it works anymore. And I think that's going to benefit the program. But I do think it's interesting to see how that, you know, SEC coaching is different where maybe I'm not saying Marcus Arroyo was laxed on him at all. But it's just like that difference of we're grinding, we're really tightening the screws ahead of week one, and maybe it is like a different type of grind that some of these players aren't used to. And I can't wait to watch this team because when we finally see them on the field, we're going to learn things about Barry Odom as a head coach and the things we haven't been able to see. And one of the things I'm very interested in is Odom as a game manager and what he's going to do. And, of course, being a nerd, right, game management in terms of win probability – the dreaded term, analytics, which I think is used improperly. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But he was asked at media availability yesterday, just, hey, what is the philosophy on fourth downs? Yeah, that'll be a discussion on how we evolve offensively, what we look like. Do we have confidence? Do we have good fourth down calls? Are they giving us the right look? How good do we feel about the defense on responding if we don't get it? Field position, time of game, score. Uh, so many factors that will go into it. We're we're going to have to be aggressive, but I don't want to be aggressive and be foolish. Um, so there will be long discussions that we've already started to have, and then what that looks like on building your fourth down run pass, those options of what that looks like, where do we feel comfortable with it, um, and a lot of it's in-game flow as well. You know, the, everybody um, wants to make it, you know, it's easy and, so we're going to get to the second part of that. Where I, again, I'm learning a lot about you. I feel like you're young, right? Mm-hmm. I'm Forward hip. thinking. Yeah, you're hip. Where do you fall on the analytics debate? Maybe fourth and one, fourth and inches, go for it every time. But see, here's the thing. Not everyone is created equal, right? If I were to tell you it's fourth and one on your own five. Don't do it. Okay, so not every time. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> Past the 50-yard line. Okay. There we go. But you're, it, but you're right, because you were talking about, oh, the Chargers. Brandon Staley, you're like, oh, well, you and Adam both were. I think that he got a little gunshot because of all the criticism he got. He He's a clown. So, no, they should have fired him. So uh, because of his decisions? After they lost that playoff game? Kellen Moore, how about you just come in and lead the whole show? So here's the thing. I think that, again, the analytics is used as a pejorative term, right? Yes, you know, of it's, it's ridiculous, and it doesn't really – it doesn't capture what we're really talking about here when it's like, hey, look, what you're saying is in these situations, if you meet certain criteria, it is in your best interest 
to attempt to go for this fourth down or to attempt this two-point conversion here because it even just going for it will increase your chances of winning a game. And again, we'll see how Odom you know operates as a head coach. I'm very interested to see that. And you get little snippets here and there of, I think, how he's going to operate. He continued on the answer here. And you, I think, again, we're not going to get the full answer until we actually see it, but I think you get an idea. You know, it's easy and nice to throw around the word analytics. Well, that sounds awesome. Um, things change, and we'll be very analytical as well, but we're going to be smart on how we play. We've got to play complementary football. There will be times that we do go forward on fourth down. Uh, we want to be aggressive, but it's also if you uh, make a decision that can that can cost your kids a game, and yeah, we got to be smart with it. Because here's the other part about this whole conversation around analytics. You know, it also speaks to how teams are operating. It's not just on fourth down, and that's why I can't wait to see what this offense is going to be. You know, the again we'll throw in analytics. You know what the analytical part of what the Chiefs do a lot is? They pass a lot on first down. Yep. You know. Like that's it's because if you're ahead of the chains and first down all of a sudden becomes second and four, then guess what? You're well ahead and you're putting yourself in position all the time. It's other aspects of what the game is. And so that's what I'm excited to see. It's not just fourth down decisions and game managements and when he calls timeouts and how they operate coming out of timeouts. There's head coaches who will call timeouts and you still commit a false you know, false start or whatever coming out of the timeout. And that's, that's those sort of things completely unacceptable. And those are the things I can't wait to see how Barry Odom operates. But I thought that answer was interesting only because we don't know that yet, at least up close. And we can go back and watch old games at Mizzou and whatnot. But what we're going to learn about him out here is fascinating. But it's it's such a cool conversation to have about game management and how these guys are going to operate and what they're going to look like in every aspect from a game management standpoint, not just fourth downs. Did you like his answer? Because you know, obviously we haven't seen it yet, but let's say right. when Josh McDaniels talk and it's just a one-minute word salad of nothing. Right. Uh, I will say that I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Okay. Because, again, you know, like when he throws in there, we can use the term analytics. Like, eh, it's not really – again, it's thrown out there as like some pejorative term. It's not really necessarily analytics, right, when it comes to these sort of things. So we'll see if that's going to be the case. So didn't love it, didn't hate it. Can't wait to watch what it's going to be. I like that he said we're going to be aggressive. I do like because he could have come out and said, "Hey, we're going to be conservative." Well, and I hope aggressiveness again. Like I hope aggressiveness isn't just going for it on fourth down. You hope that aggressiveness is, "Hey, first down, we're slinging it," because guess what? We can set ourselves up if we get two cracks at a second and three and a third and three. Like that's that puts our team yes. in a much better position, and it's what teams like the Chiefs do. It is how football is changing. It's why I keep going back to you know you mentioned it's perfect segue. It's you mentioned Staley, right, and blowing the game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I, My theory, I think I've said this to you guys before, football is becoming so much more like basketball. No lead is safe. Offense is in control. Defense, because of the rules, is always playing behind the eight ball for the most part. And when I say offense, yeah, like, scoring can happen like that, right? When you tell people, hey, you know, in the Super Bowl, a popular prop is, Will that will a team score three consecutive times? And I think the initial thought is always like, oh no, that's it's insane. Happens more often than you think. And because the way football is changing, that's what I want to see when it comes to aggressiveness. It's just, and that's not just going for it on fourth downs anymore. It's being aggressive on first down, setting up yourself for success on second and third. And when the opportunity dictates it, if you have to, 
Go for it on a fourth and short inside your own territory, your opponent's territory. You know, go for two when you are down by two scores and you have to come out of that first touch. And, you know, those sort of things. You, I would like to see that a little bit more, but it's it's a bigger philosophy than that. I really want to stay on this conversation a little bit because it also goes to when player when teams say, "Hey, the game doesn't come down to one play." Because I wish more coaches would be honest and say, "Yeah, not just the analytics on fourth down, like you said. Yeah, the analytics told us that maybe on second down we should have passed it there." We should have, you know, had a passing play instead of a run, and now we were now we're setting up third and ten, and we have to get off. The sh- we have to, you know, sure. it was a short, you know, short possession for us. Yeah, like the run, the because it was whole, just three and out. The first down runs are are agonizing at times. You know, okay, here we go. Because yes, you can as a team average four yards a carry, but an average is just that, and you can sit there and go, okay, here you go. Okay, now it's second and eight. Congratulations. And then what? And then what do you do in that situation? Yeah, then you know? try to exactly. run it again. Now you're third and seven. <laughs> right, exactly. Pass okay. play doesn't work. Yep. Or now like, you're off the field. Second and eight, it's incomplete. Now you're third and eight. It's yeah. It's that's the the sort of thinking that football is evolving into, and I can't wait to see what Odom's going to have in store there. The other aspect of this team that is going to be really interesting as it's evolved, because going out there, and I'm not anybody out there, you and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spill any beans. But in watching out there at, uh, at practice, I'll say this. There do seem to be position groups that are somewhat set. Won't go any farther than that. But the one where you see new faces all the time is the offensive line. And Barry Odom mentioned this the other day in terms of what we're looking for from this thing. That we feel that can go in and play a game, then we can build around that. So, I mean, the tackle positions, you know, I think the cross training that Coach Vice has done is will pay off for us as the season goes, as things happen. Um, I think it's so important to be able to broad scope, look at, can Marcus Miller play center? You put a check, yes, he can. Can we win with him there? We can. Can he play guard? Yes. Can he play tackle? Yes. The more guys that we can get in that position, uh, the better our football team's gonna be. It's hard for those guys. I mean, it's, that's, that is a very, very difficult position to play. Cross training has been like a big thing that they've talked about quite a bit. Other positions, getting guys mm-hmm. involved, if you can do this, then can you do it at another position? And shout out to Adam because that was one of the things in you know in listening to media availability the other day, he was talking about like the snap right. And Adam brought up when we talked to him. I think he went to practice on Tuesday that he observed some difficulties with the snap and how that maybe this is going to go. But when you go out there and you watch those the, the offense line, you know you're seeing different faces in with the call them ones and how it's looking. Be very interested to see what the final iteration of that first you know that starting five is going to be like for the offensive line and how it performs, because to his point, again, cross-training, you want depth. You want guys who are going to be comfortable in multiple positions. Yeah, I know the Raiders said this a lot last year, so I'm just going to parrot that, where versatility. On the mm-hmm. offensive line, I think that that is one of the best skills that you can have. Hey, can we plug you in at guard? Can we plug you in at center if you need, if need be? So versatility on the offensive line, it's not a bad thing, and it is a pretty hard position to play. And with this Rebel team, do they have the guys, you know, this is the one position where – do you have that dog in you? Because they're bringing in some guys that they have that now prototypical size. But are they going to be able to stand up? Are they going to be able to pass pass protect? And are they going to be able to, not taking shots, get the snaps off? Because we're going to be seeing a lot more shotgun or maybe, and maybe even under center. Mm-hmm. Where it's, it's a lot of things that maybe this is going to be new to this offense and it's going to be quicker. So I'm excited to see how they look. But the offensive line is really going to start up there because I've got the utmost confidence in Doug Brumfield, to be honest. I think it's going to be how well is he protected and is he back there scrambling for his life? Man, I am so jacked up. Football's here. College football's a week away. 
And last night, because I'm so jacked up for football, I did the unthinkable. I watched an entire preseason game. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. Did you watch preseason game last night? Nope. Not a second? No. Why not? Busy sleeping. Las Vegas, busy sleeping. It started at four. I was here working then. <laughs> you didn't even know what it was. Disappointing. DTR. Las Vegas owned DTR. Dorian Thompson Robinson looking good in the preseason. I see the tweet. He's the he's, he's second coming, apparently. I don't know if he's the second coming or the second coming of what. I don't know. Deshaun Watson better watch out, though. That's all I'm saying. That, well, that's what I'm seeing. Maybe the Browns have a steal on their hands. Yeah, I, don't, I hope he's not the second coming of Deshaun Watson. I just said he better watch out. Yeah. He's been great. Now, he did throw a touchdown that probably should have been intercepted. But it's cool to see a story like Dorian Thompson-Robinson unfold in front of us. He could, in all seriousness, Adam, you know, the other day, he liked to Mm poo-poo on any positives coming out of the preseason. As he does. Yes, right. It is a good story, and it is a big positive that a rookie can come in and at least look comfortable in a preseason setting. And... It does matter to him because I got to, over at Beeson, we were interviewing um, a Cleveland Browns beat reporter whose name escapes me. I apologize. But mentioned that, and I asked, I was like, look, can Dorian Thompson-Robinson like actually maybe push for the backup job here? Because he's probably going to be their third-string guy, but he's outperformed Josh Dobbs by all accounts and does sound like the Browns maybe want him to be the long-term backup option, maybe a little bit more, but long-term backup option I think is the hope because they're hoping Deshaun Watson works out. That's something legitimate for a rookie to come in and play well enough to be like, hey, look, I could at the very least carve my niche out as a backup quarterback here and then maybe at one point get a shot at winning a starting job down the road. I think it's a cool story and actually means something for him. How about that? Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Uh, what, what? I just said I didn't watch the game. You're just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're pooping all over it. You're like, oh, second coming. The sarcasm dripping off your voice. He's one of our guys. And – Fellow Bishop Gorman alum. Bam. It's one of your guys. That's right. The elite. Yeah, you're right. You know what? Go, take this back to the first hour. I've been thinking about this all show. I left a pair of Adidas at Bishop Gorman one time. Called the school the next day. They said they couldn't find them. Mm. Maybe I should have called the police. Much like Sabrina Ionescu and the New York <laughs> Liberty did. Yes. Trying to find those, insult, those inserts, those souls. Very important. Very important. I think it's cool. Also... Had money on the game, so, you know, wanted to watch the whole thing. Well, you laugh. No, no, no. That, now it comes. You, you're not DT, – DTR isn't your guy. He's just He just got you, you know, maybe a nice chunk of change. Tell you what, Kate York's not my guy or anybody's guy. Two cracks at a game winner? Miss them both? But it wide left, wide right? Come on. Well, I didn't watch, though. So. Oh, this is all first This is all hardcore stuff, man. Kicking issues. I wanted to – Break down the hardcore, like, Jake Moody. What are the – going back to the 49ers and the arrogance. Oh, we don't need Rob Gould. You got Jake Moody. Missed two field goals. Take that. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. Last 30 minutes of the program, we continue to look at uh, opponents for UNLV, but also, of course – a very big story 
with the Hawaiian Connections out here in Las Vegas. Josh Pacheco is with us, program director, ESPN Honolulu, CBS 1500 out in Hawaii, and, of course, Hawaii baseball play-by-play voice. Uh, Josh, we appreciate some time. And uh, before we get to the less important things uh, in terms of sports, we obviously know what's going down in terms of Maui and the fire. Uh, so I'll just ask you, first off, how you're doing and, and what it's been like out there and what the community's been like w- with what's been happening on the island. Um, you know, I'm on a, I'm on Oahu, so I'm on a, I'm on a different Island. Um, uh, but certainly I think all of us across the state, um, have been shaken. I don't think any of us ever thought we would see something like this in our own communities or our neighbors' communities. Um, it has been a mix of emotions, a mix of sadness, devastation, frustration. Um, and we are almost closing in on the two week mark since, those fires took place and honestly those fires are still not out and uh, and that's another one of those concerns going on but it has been um as as rough it is as it has been to watch our families and and neighbors uh, on Maui go through this it has been in a way kind of uplifting to see how many people and schools and organizations across the country have tried to come through and and really help i mean Hawaii's opponent Vanderbilt uh, next Saturday is uh, having a, a donation. I think it's through T-shirts and, and money from that. It's going to go to the Hawaii Community Foundation. We just learned today Kansas and Illinois are going to play a college basketball exhibition with money going to the um, to the efforts. So while it's been tough, um, we've seen a lot of community, uh, Ohana, meaning family, uh, across this country and the world uh, trying to come through and help. Yeah, you can speak to that a little bit, at least out, out here in Las Vegas. When October happened, it was the same thing in terms of being somewhat uplifting after a terrible tragedy uh, when you see your community rally around a lot of people who really need it. Uh, anybody out here who maybe wants to help with things, uh, where would you recommend going if anybody out in Las Vegas wanted to contribute in any way, shape, or form? I think a couple of charities that I think have been vetted and um, certainly have have been trusted. Um, the Maui Food Bank, um, you can visit them online. Um, food, keeping people, you know, from being hungry and, and thirsty because so many people have been displaced. The Maui Food Bank is a uh, great charity. They're a nonprofit uh, to donate to. And then the Hawaii Community Foundation is one of those um, very well vetted and works across the state. Um, they're another one that I think a lot of people trust. So I would say if you directed yourself toward those two, um, the, the community there would, would certainly be thankful. It always sounds, it always feels weird in these moments to, like I said, call it, I called it less important stuff to transition, but, you know, it, sports is uh, what we talk about. So how has the Hawaii football program uh, been affected by this? How have they handled this? And also, you know, how in, in any way, shape, or form are, are they doing anything in terms of community outreach? I think a couple things. Um, you know, there there is a player from Lahaina where the fires were, were heavily hit. Um, you know, he left the team for a few days. Uh, to go and, and be around family. Fortunately, um, his family's okay. So he, he came back. He's with the team. He's found the, uh, you know, a, a kind of a, a new purpose, uh, you know, a kind of a, a strength that has come from that to, to work hard every day and represent his family and, and represent his community. And there is a player from, uh, from Kula in Kimo Holo Holt Mossman. Uh, Kula is where um, you don't hear about them as much, but uh, tens of homes have been destroyed there, and that fire or pair of fires there is still burning. They haven't fully contained it. 
Um, but he's there. Um, I don't think he's left the team. I think he's stayed with the team through all of this. Uh, Hawaii did have, during its FanFest scrimmage last Saturday, they had a, uh, a material donation drive uh, right before uh, that practice started, and um, they have continued to try to ask people to donate as they can. Um, so, yeah, you, you've had a few players who are affected, and they've tried to, to rally through um, you know, for, for their state to help as much as they can. On a lighter note, can I ask you, did you attend the uh, pigskin pig out? I did not. Uh, you know, we Our afternoon show goes right up to the start of the pig out, and it was sold out. And so, uh, yeah, I made it a couple of years ago, but unfortunately not this year. So I didn't, I didn't get to do the pig dinner this time around. When it comes to Hawaii and, and football, and I, I had the honor of, you know, one of the coaches that really stuck out to me out here at Mount West Media Days was Timmy Chang because it was an awesome conversation. And talking to him and players, one of the things that they kept preaching right was, you know, the program and building it through community and, and really tying it into the Hawaii community. I feel like, oddly enough, like Timmy Chang and his football program, like, is it weird to say that I think this is one that would be perfectly suited to get through something like this? Absolutely. Um, I think when you look through what he's trying to do and then you compare it, and maybe it's kind of unfair, you compare it to the, to the Todd Graham era, um, you know, a couple of years ago that granted during COVID-19, you had to deal with the pandemic, but really did kind of lose sense of connecting with the community and even connecting with former players that there is certainly a 180. Um, Timmy Chang, having played high school football here, having played college football here, having grown up here, having made so many memories on the field with his dad on the sideline, um, it, there is certainly a, a knowledge and understanding of how to connect with people, not just 17 to 22 year olds, but also you know that family down the street, or uh, certainly that that booster that's that's supporting the program. And it, you know, sometimes I mean, you guys have dealt with it all the time. You talk to coaches, and sometimes you get a lot of coach speak, and you get a lot of stuff that feels like it's forced. It's 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 coming out of their mouths just because it has to. And I'm sure you guys saw it when you when you talked to Timmy Chang about West Media Days, as we did, and and we have throughout the year. There is certainly this this genuineness. Sometimes, you know, not necessarily polished. It's only his second year as a head coach, but certainly this this realness about him in his care for his players and his care for his community, and he gets it. Um, the wins and losses may not necessarily be in Hawaii's favor at this point, but certainly the rallying cry and knowing, you know, that the importance and, and, and realizing what kind of ranks his importance in situations like this, I think has made him kind of buck the normal trend of, Hey, if you're losing, it's hard for people to rally around you. It's kind of been the opposite because he gets it and he understands people here. Josh Pacheco with us, program director, getting ESPN Honolulu, CBS 1500, Hawaii and Hawaii baseball play by play. So let's talk about what the football expectations could be this year. Uh, I think about 14 guys coming back overall, most of them coming back on defense, but let's focus on offense first. What are your expectations for this offense in Timmy Chang's system for his second year? <laughs> that's that's the fun part. I mean, everybody's talked about the run and shoot and how the you know the old version, I guess I shouldn't say the old version because everybody thinks of run and shoot with Hawaii and they think back to, to Jude Jones and they think about the 2007 season and the Sugar Bowl. Um but their variation of the run and shoot is coming into play. I would 
also mentioned that last year they never really got to implement it all that much because uh, they didn't feel like they had the personnel at that point in time to truly implement it. And by the time they tried to get stuff in their mid-year, um, it, it really didn't flow. There's an excitement about the idea of seeing the run-and-shoot employed at the University of Hawaii for the first time in years. I think it, to temper that excitement is you don't know how it's going to look. Um, and I think it, it comes down to a quarterback in Braden Shager who has not been in the system, I think is still kind of growing and evolving in how to learn reads, how to get the ball out quickly. It's it's really going to be a lot of pressure on him. Um, and it's also going to be a lot of pressure on both Timmy Chang, who's going to call the offensive plays, and, and, and Ian Shoemaker you know, on, on the coordinator side to really teach it and teach it well and get that to look good uh, here to open the year. The one thing that Hawaii's offense does have, um, they've got some young receivers uh, that I think are, are you know have a little bit of experience from last year. Uh, not a lot. I wouldn't say 1A, 1B, 2 kind of wide receivers, but certainly some depth of guys who have had experience. And I think the standout that could really unlock this offense could be Tyler Hines. When they do run the football, he's got speed. He's got some explosiveness. And they're working with him a lot more to catch the football out of the backfield or line up as a receiver if necessary. Uh, because in that run and shoot, if you're a running back, you need to be able to catch the football. And, and they believe he can be a key part of that. It's an interesting wrinkle that he's going to be in charge of play calling as well, of course, of the duties of a head coach. What, what have you made in that first year of him as a game manager? Because I told him the story when I saw him out here at Circa. It was one of my favorite moments of the season. I actually made the trip with UNLV out to that game uh, that the Rebels lost. And it was like, you know, in and out rain. There was one point where it was coming down hard. And he calls a timeout. The rain stops. They go out there. It was right before a field goal. And then they go back out there, kick the field goal with no rain. I thought it was brilliant. And he was like, yeah, I called it on purpose. I knew that was going to happen. But with that balance of being a play caller and a game manager, how do you think he handles that? You know, I, I think he handled it as best as he could. I mean, he, he kind of took that over somewhat in the middle of the year. They kind of quietly did it. I don't think they wanted to give the impression that, they were throwing anybody on the offensive coaching side under the bus. But, you know, truly what Timmy Chang wants is to see this offense flow through. And having been maybe the most experienced coach in general on how to run it and how to coach it, it only made sense for him to really take the reins and, and you know, also kind of call the plays. So I thought he handled that fairly well. I think going into year two, it's now going to be more about can he teach it well? And, and I think that's maybe the, the, the bigger test as compared to calling the plays because I think he's got a grasp of, of game scenarios pretty well. It's just now getting that on those players to execute, especially Monday through Friday leading up to game day. All right, let's talk about the defense. As I mentioned, uh, a vast majority of returning starters on that side. I think about nine guys coming back in terms of starters. Uh, you do have, of course, second-year D.C., but Jacob Yoro, I think, has been there for a while. So what should the expectations with so much returning personnel and in the second year of a defense be for uh, that unit? I, I think first and foremost, yeah, you're right. Jacob Yoro seemed to have survived coaching changes in several different regimes and has worked his way up to defensive coordinator. But I think there is a certain excitement about something that Hawaii has that maybe they haven't really had previously, and that is a lockdown defensive back in the transfer from Wyoming, Cam Stone. Hawaii has, you know, frankly, one of the, the biggest frustrations I think people have had with Hawaii's defense 
in past years has they've been two things one a lack of a pass rush which could be an issue again this year but i think two um, a lack of a secondary that's been able to kind of take over a, a defense and make plays in the secondary and i think you know cam stone coming in and anchoring that secondary i think is huge um but peter manuma is young he's growing he was a heavy hitter last year uh, they had some young corners and young safeties that really kind of stepped up and showed their potential. Mekki Pay is another one, uh, the, the transfer from Washington. So I think the excitement is what the secondary could be. The question mark, I think, on defense is can they make uh, gains at the line of scrimmage? Can they pressure quarterbacks? Can they stop the run? Uh, because that was a challenge last year that Hawaii really struggled with. All right, let's get you out of here on this. The schedule is pretty tough. Uh, road uh, road trips in the non-conference to Vandy and Oregon. Uh, conference schedule is uh, pretty rough as well, at least in terms of level of opponents. San Diego State, San Jose State do have to make the trip out there. They do have to go to Wyoming, though. Of course, the trip to UNLV, which is always a good rivalry spot. What does growth look like this year? What should the expectations be on paper for Hawaii? You know, I have said, um, you know, year two, I'm not putting a lot on – high expectations. I mean, if they make a bowl game, I think that's incredible. Um, but you said it accurately. This is a tough schedule, and I realize Boise State's not on that schedule. That doesn't matter. San Diego State's been good. San Jose State's improving, and Chevin Cordero's going to come here to Hawaii for, for a homecoming night. Um, you know, I, I put the over-under right around four, um, four and a half, I think, for wins this year for Hawaii. It's going to be tough, but this is still a program that's trying to solidify an identity. And I think if they improve on what they did from year one and show some gains offensively, if they, if they don't make a bowl game, if they show that forward movement, I'd be happy with it. Josh, we appreciate some time today, man. Thank you very much. Uh, glad that you're doing well and uh, extend our well wishes uh, out there to Hawaii. Hopefully everything, uh, of course, ends up as well as it can. We appreciate the time, man. Appreciate you guys, and I will see you for game week in Vegas on September 30th. Yep, looking forward to it. Always a good showing. I um, One of my favorite stories uh, when my first year at UNLV was, uh, I think I told the story of the, the fake MMA fight outside after a Hawaii game. Yeah, nothing but leg kicks. <laughs> yeah, nothing but leg kicks, and somebody just started screaming, just fight! It's great. It's great. I loved it. Well, hopefully everything, it's, it's a tough start to a season, and you really hope for everybody out there, considering the large, right, Hawaiian population out here in Las Vegas, that there are a lot of people out here in Las Vegas that are tied to these things that are happening out in Maui. So very much hope for the best for everything when it comes to the fires out in Maui. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Text message? Let's go Henderson Little League. Okay, there you go. 69187, code word ESPN. Whatever you want. Oh, yeah. not whatever. We do have a filter system, which is just demands judgment. So yeah. it's not the strongest, but it's a filtering system nonetheless. I mean, nothing but positivity today. People want to meet you. You're the boat. People want to meet Adam Hill. And let's go Henderson Little League. Is it generally negative with Steve? No. I mean, the other day someone said, you mean lefty who's lucky? What does that even mean? Uh, that? This is about Phil Mickelson in uh, the the book. Oh, man. Boy, the press tour for uh, one Billy Walters. That sound? 
That's just him <laughs> bashing Phil Mickelson's head in over and over again. That's what the whole tour is about. Yeah. Can't wait to read the book. Get back in there. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Uh, I was actually going to send this in, but I forgot. Darn. So is Bobby Althoff? Alt- Alt- Althoff, yes. So, I sent it as well. Yeah, you did. He, so I, was, I wasn't going to do it, and then you sent it in. So I was like, all right, we can hit this in the grab at the very least. So are we turning on her? What's going on here? I've been, I've been ready for the turn. I've been ready for the turn it ever since. It always happens. Yes. Since, I, since she got the Drake interview, I've been ready for the turn. So what, 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 is she, what happened? What I, I've, what I have seen is we'll put, this, we'll put this slightly. Yes. She's better interviewing people of her own ilk. Yeah, I will. Yeah, and she's a better guest. Where you know where she was on on the BFF podcast. White Marshall. people. That's I'm just gonna yeah. say it. All right. Well, you know you said it. Yeah, she was talking to Dave Portnoy, and she's like, "Oh, you guys aren't awkward." She was talking about how awkward little Yachty was. But if someone just reciprocates that energy, you're the interviewer. But isn't that the whole thing? Isn't that her shtick? Am I wrong? Yeah, her thing is being awkward. But I guess. So then, why is it wrong if little Lil Yachty, Lil Yachty, is um? Why is it wrong if Lil Yachty is awkward? That's like the whole thing. Yeah, I, I, I really, it's my thing where I'm not protecting the, you know, journalism this hard. But you don't, you're just looking for a way to get famous. You're being rude to people. And for me, it's why do all these rappers want to give her the time of dates first to be interviewed by her? I understand. Well, you know why. Yeah, well, Drake does it. Well, I mean, if Drake gets the interview, if Drake thought, oh, that, that interview with Funny Marco was funny. I'll let her interview That's me. That's not why Drake wanted the interview. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Well, she, <laughs> Dave Portnoy also had to go and retract that, you know, that Drake did nothing happen there. You know, she's not getting a divorce from her husband. But for me, it's why do you want to interview all these rappers? You know, if, mm-hmm. if you're not really interested in Drake's music, I understand that you just want to get famous for clout. But go interview Travis Barker. Oh, she go interview. She didn't even like Travis Barker. That's yeah, go interview. Yeah, she admitted know? not liking Drake's music. Well, no, there was a like the video of her from the concert. And yeah. it's, uh she's not interested. Well, that's the you know doing the shtick. Uh, yeah, the, the shtick. But, you know, also rappers do better. Why are you giving her the time of day? There you go. Had a video with Offset. You know, oh she. Yeah, that I saw inter- that. Yeah, that interview is going to be dropping soon. Like I said, I saw a video of some nerdy dude getting mad and calling her a B and throwing his headphones off. Do you know uh, Rick about this? But yeah. that, but he's also a guy that was always in character and always doing shtick. Okay, so right, I, you can't so believe it, anything. Yeah, an interview with the two of them. Who who, who are we? To believe stick your hand in there dave all right i don't know where to go with this hmm. there's many topics that you've sent in here do you want to go hugh freeze or chief saholic chief saholic baby you're wildly impressed with chief saholic yes huh? i am i know people were hurt money was stolen but is he not the real life version? Wait, of, were people hurt? I don't know. You know, maybe finance. Maybe or were, was maybe, corporate America giving a taste of their own medicine? Maybe people were scarred for life. <laughs> if you were at the bank that Chief Saholic, that's, oh, that's a good point. I don't know how he stood the banks up. So yeah, okay, yeah. it's a good point. Everybody get down! Huh? Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's okay. That's fair. If somebody maybe has recurring nightmares about a man in a wolf mask and a Chiefs jersey robbing the bank. I can kind of understand that. Scar me for life. But, you know, hey, he's here for a good time, not a long time. He's going to be put away for a long time. But the good time he had, I think he was, like, included in the Madden game, was in commercials. I'd argue he's our generation's Robin Hood. Although he just gave to himself and he, yes. didn't, give, he didn't give to anybody else. Enriched himself. Man, he probably even got a picture with Mahomes or something. You know how Mahomes probably just coming before the game. Like, they knew him. Man. What? I'm trying to think of what other generations Robin Hoods would be. 
DB Cooper? You know what? Uh, here's a spoiler alert. That guy died. That's what happened. <laughs> totally. <laughs> People are like, what a mystery. Like, he jumped out of a plane in the 70s. He's gone, folks. <laughs>